Our intent is to make sure that when a person graduates uh, from law school, that first of all, they have seen a courtroom. And second of all, they, they understand uh, in a meaningful way uh, their responsibilities, their expectations, and more importantly, they are job ready. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and also a blog called Media Law. And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Well, Craig, in February of this year, the Massachusetts Board of Higher Education approved plans for the state's first public law school. The uh, plan will bring uh, the law school now formerly known as Southern New England School of Law under the auspices of the University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth to form the University of Mass School of Law, Dartmouth. According to a recent article in the Boston Globe by reporter Tracy Jan, applications and enrollment at the state's first public law school have skyrocketed since this merger. And today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about the new UMass Law School and and the incoming class going to law school in this economy, accreditation, and the opportunities available for students after they leave law school. And we're uh, honored to have joining us today the dean of the new law school, Robert V. Ward, Jr., Uh, Bob has been a legal practitioner, educator, and administrator in Massachusetts for more than 30 years. He began teaching in September of 1978 at Suffolk Law School uh, from uh, starting in 1982 until he became dean at Southern New England School of Law in 1999. Uh, He was a professor of law at New England School of Law, where he taught evidence, criminal law, criminal procedure, prisoners' rights, and seminars on race and the law and anatomy of a homicide. He was also the director of the Charles Hamilton Houston Enrichment Program, an academic achievement program designed to increase the number of minority students on campus and to ensure their success after admission. Uh, and uh, I happen to know that Dean Ward is also a, a trustee of the Massachusetts Bar Foundation because uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I serve as a trustee with him on that board. Uh, so I'm very happy to welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, Dean Robert Ward. Thank you, Bob, and good afternoon, Craig, or it's a good morning. What is it there? It's good morning for us out here. Well, and we'd like to we'd like to offer our congratulations to you on your new venture, but uh, before we get really started here with some questions, can you give us some history on the formation of the UMass Law School? Yes. Um, this is a process that uh, has been going on for, I guess, almost 50 years, and uh, I've been involved and it's, I've been involved in the process for 10. Uh, and so on February 2nd, uh, this was actually our second attempt to get approval by the Board of Higher Education. The earlier attempt happened in uh, 2005. Uh, but this 
time, we uh, put together, I think, what was a stronger proposal. Uh, the Board of Higher Education approved it. And as of July 1st, uh, UMass Law School celebrated its first birthday. Or I should say it was created as of that day. So, uh, so it's good. Dean Ward, this, this was, uh, as you say, there were two attempts uh, to do this, and, and uh, there was controversy around it uh, both times. One of the, the big questions uh, both times was whether a state uh, such as Massachusetts needs another law school. I mean, we have uh, any number of uh, uh, top-notch law schools here already. Uh, what was your answer to people who questioned the need for it? Well, after I got off the floor laughing, uh, I tended to, uh, first of all, remind people that the Southern New England School of Law had been around for 25 years, and so it was unfair and inaccurate to state that there was going to be a new law school. It was just that Southern New England was going to morph into uh, the UMass Law School. But on the greater question of do we have too many lawyers in Massachusetts, uh, I think the question becomes... Uh, who who do you ask? If you ask the poor people, in particular, the working poor in Massachusetts, the answer is quickly no. Uh, if you ask uh, people who are well-heeled and can go to the yellow pages and find whatever they want, then the answer is yes. Uh, we are trying to carve out uh, that space um, between uh, serving the poor and the working poor and at the same time, giving lawyers who want to or to aspire to do uh, the big law firm thing their opportunities as well. What kind of controversy have you uh, really experienced going through this process? Well, there were a number of private schools, uh, three in particular, uh, who felt threatened by uh, the creation of a public law school, in part because there was the assumption that we would all be buying for the same pool. Uh, and again, uh, the difficulty with that rationale was that it assumed that we were not in existence. And so the delta in terms of the change uh, is probably not very large. I mean, I think that those other law schools, even if you accept the fact that there was going to be a change in their enrollment, uh, the between the three of them, they probably wouldn't have lost more than 60 students. And so, uh, but this would be 60 students who are committed to doing public interest work. And more importantly, 60 students who wouldn't have $40,000 worth of debt per year. One of the other big uh, controversies, of course, surrounding the school was was the, the cost issue. The, the, there were those who said that uh, at a time when, when the state's having enough trouble uh, meeting its expenses uh, and having to trim budgets uh, across the board that uh, it really couldn't afford to put the money into this school and to help this school uh, you know, get up to speed for accreditation. Uh, so, what, what? Tell us about the finances. Tell us about uh, how this school will be uh, will will pay for all of this. Well, first of all, uh, we don't receive a dime from the state, the university. Uh, we share some uh, of the benefits of the university's system, but in terms of tax dollars, 
uh, not a single tax dollar uh, is used to uh, to, uh, to run the law school. Part of what happened was uh, the University of Massachusetts name itself carried with it uh, some weight. And so as a result of that, uh, we saw our applications more than double. And uh, that had happened also in 05 when we failed. And so we were comfortable in, in, in stating that uh, if given a chance, uh, that uh, the state wouldn't have to wouldn't have to put in any money uh, to make this, the law school work. So I mean that that's 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 it, the essence of it. Uh, it appears right now that we are going to have about 150 first year students. Uh, I've been running this law school for 10 years, and with 150 students, we're in a position to return money to the state rather than get money from the state. What, what's your assessment at this point of how the economic outlook is going to be for employing your graduating third years? Well, first of all, that's a challenge for all law schools. Um, our hope is that. Um, because the debt being carried forward by our students is going to be significantly lower than at the other law schools, that uh, they will be able, our graduates will be able to take the legal services jobs, the government jobs, and other public interest jobs that other people cannot afford because their average debt is 120000 Whereas our graduates' uh, worst case scenario is likely to be seventy thousand. That's the worst case scenario. And you say that because your tuition is lower. That is correct. That is correct. Our tuition is at uh, twenty three. And some of the students. I mean, you talked about fostering public service. I know that. I know that some of the students are being uh, essentially having part of their tuition uh, covered by fellowships, uh, provided they make a commitment. To public service. That is that is absolutely correct, and that was why I said the worst case scenario, the debt uh, ceiling would be about seventy thousand. Um, there's a small group of uh, folks who are coming in uh, in a few weeks uh, who will graduate with uh, zero debt in terms of tuition. Their only debt will be the money that they spent uh, while they were in law school, and so. I find it hard to believe uh, that that group of students uh, will have difficulty finding work because they have choices. You know, even if they were to simply open their own practices, their only worry is making sure they generate enough money to pay their rent. Well, as a lawyer that, that had his own practice for a while, and I know Bob does too, um, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that. Um, you got, but let's let's shift to talk about the accreditation issues. Um, where are you on accreditation, and how does that affect the students and scholarships and the like? Well, the uh, when the pro forma was presented to uh, the board of higher education. Uh, our expectation was that uh, the law school would uh, receive its provisional ABA accreditation uh, no later than the end of 2012. 
I believe that we are on track. Um, there are some of us who think that we are actually early. And so uh, what that means is that the class that was accepted to start uh, in a few weeks, they should graduate from an ABA school uh, unless something changes that uh, we have not anticipated. Uh, but I'd like to return to the uh, the, the notion of uh, I, too, uh, hung up my shingle for a while. I know it's not reflected in my bio. And uh, I took a job that paid uh, very short money and then also uh, did some solo practicing. And so it does make a, a, a difference uh, in terms of the amount of debt that you have to pay. When I graduated from law school and college, I didn't have more than $5,000 worth of debt. Well, no question that it makes a, a major difference to uh, starting your own practice or, or whatever you do with your career uh, uh, to not be saddled with that debt. And yeah, and yeah, Craig is right. We we've all been there. I I first started a practice many many years ago, just just out of law school, and uh, uh, and you find ways to do it. Um, one of the things I'm interested in, I mean, you you know, you you've talked about. The fact that applications are up uh, at your school uh, versus what they had been in in the past few years, I, I've I've read recently that that applications to law schools across the board are are up, uh, and at the same time, I, I was just reading an article. I think it was today about uh, uh, how how much harder it is for for summer associates to find work, and and for you know we, we all hear about graduating associates uh, having trouble uh, finding work. So, what you know, what do you what do you tell people who ask you about a career in law in this in this economy? Well, I you know first of all, I, I think that one must be a realist. Uh, we are in the middle of a recession, and so first of all. The uh, the increase in the number of people applying to law school, I think, is largely a function of that. Uh, there are people who frequently will search out what they perceive to be a safe harbor uh, during uh, harsh economic times and hope that by the time they graduate that uh, uh, things are better. But in terms of what I tell my students, uh, it's more than just telling. What we try to do is that uh, we try to show, we try to create opportunities. Um, we, uh, we extend ourselves to uh, members of the bar uh, in the area, to the legal services agencies. We try to create fellowships uh, for people. So we, are all, we, we do lots of creative things that allow people uh, to practice law uh, to get themselves on their feet, to do public service, uh, and at the same time uh, make a living for themselves. Uh, what about the curriculum at this new UMass Law School? Uh, will do you plan to, uh, you know, will it be kind of a standard law school curriculum, or or do you are your plans to have it uh, uh, differ in any way from from what uh, other schools might be doing? Um, my plan is to have it differ somewhat, um, and certainly differ from what was the Snessel curriculum. We, uh, uh, the students who begin uh, in a few weeks, will have 
uh, greater options. Uh, there will be fewer electives. It will still be the same number of credits, but we have combined some courses. Uh, we have dropped one or two, and that's not unusual in legal education. Uh, but more importantly, um, our focus is going to be on uh, our faculty using techniques associated with best practices. Um, ours is a profession, and I'm not sure that law schools have historically prepared students well uh, to practice law. And so we uh, that is our intent. Our intent is to make sure that when a person graduates uh, from law school, that first of all, they have seen a courtroom, and second of all, they, they understand uh, in a meaningful way uh, their responsibilities, their expectations, and more importantly, they are job ready. And how do you how do you instill those those practical skills uh, in a law student? How do you, how do you give them those kinds of exposures to the courtroom and everything else? Are you talking about more clinical programs or? Well, yes, we're we're talking about uh, expanding our clinical programs, but uh, there are ways to do this uh, even if you never uh, step into uh, a courtroom. For example, this summer I am teaching our combination criminal law and criminal procedure course. And midway through the semester, uh, my students participated in, in our courtroom uh, in a motion to suppress. And uh, the class was small enough that everyone played a role. And so they went from the hearing, the actual trial sort of hearing, to uh, the piece where the matter was being argued before some sort of appellate course. So, so they got a chance to see it from soup to nuts, including the interviews with the clients, or the client, I should say, and the interview with the uh, police officers and that sort of stuff. So, you know, those students, uh, now when they read a case uh, and they see the facts, they have a much better sense of of the origin of those facts, of the dialogue that took place, of the compromises that were made. And who are the faculty here? And I don't, I don't mean names per se, but I mean, are they uh, are they full time faculty? Are they uh, adjunct faculty who are also practitioners? What what kinds of people are teaching the classes here? Well, we have a uh, we have I think thirteen full time faculty members, and then we have about twenty adjunct faculty members. Um, some of our full-time faculty members, uh, uh, for example, one of them, uh, the, my associate dean, is one of the country's experts in bankruptcy law. Uh, he and his wife, uh, uh, the Hillingers, uh, have uh, probably one of the most important uh, textbooks on bankruptcy law. Uh, I have a woman who teaches, who runs our immigration clinic, and... Uh, she was actually one of the first people to uh, author a practice series in, in immigration law. So there are, there are m many of the people on my faculty uh, have uh, practical experiences that they can uh, share with the students. And that's actually what's made this experiment so exciting because now we're encouraging them not to tell war stories, but to figure out a way to share the experience uh, with uh, their, with the students, and, uh, and quite frankly, with each, with each other. Uh, I have a fellow who uh, 
is frequently cited by the uh, the conservative wing of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in their decisions. And so there is someone who uh, basically has a United States Supreme Court practice. And so that's a great opportunity for students. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about a law school education and life after law school. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Engage your brain. Keep up with the fast pace of the legal profession. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all of our great legal podcasts. They're free. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by Dean Robert V. Ward, Jr. from the University of Massachusetts School of Law at Dartmouth. And I know you've been talking with Bob about uh, accreditation and some faculty issues. What, um, what do you see, just from, the, from a larger perspective, uh, lawyers across the country practicing law, um, students coming in, lawyers retiring? Uh, we at kind of a... a even base, or, or do we need more lawyers? Do we not have enough lawyers? What's your perspective on the overall perspective on the overall status of lawyers in the country? Well, I had the privilege of practicing in uh, Idaho, and so living in another part of the country where you know there isn't a lawyer sign uh, on every corner, you begin to get a sense that uh, if people were willing or could afford to relocate, uh, that there are lots of unmet legal needs. And even in a state like Massachusetts, uh, every five years or so, we do studies and we see uh, that uh, there are people who are in the justice system without the benefit of counsel. Uh, It is not unusual in Massachusetts uh, to have custody decisions uh, decided by a court where 
one of the parties or a party is not represented by counsel. And that, to me, is horrible. Well, that's, I mean, it, 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 it's, you know, as I said earlier, you, you and I, Dean Ward, both, both sit on the Mass Bar Foundation Board of Trustees. And I, I think we see in, in our work there how, how great the need is for legal services, how, how many uh, legal needs go unmet. Uh, and yet, as I said earlier, one of the, one of the uh, issues swirling around this school was whether it's necessary. I mean, it seems to me that uh, one of the, uh, issues in Massachusetts is, uh, and perhaps in law schools everywhere, is that law students are uh, so driven to try and get the the big money job, uh, and understandably so, I guess. But you know, how do you incentivize students to to want to have a career in public service? Is it, is it simply a matter of reducing their debt? Uh, I mean, what what else do you need to do to get them interested in this? Well, well I think there are two things. One, uh, the debt uh, is is uh, one key. Uh, the other key is that the you know the question was asked about our curriculum and how it will differ from other law school curriculums. And one of the ways that it will differ is that um, you know every opportunity that we have, uh, my faculty is encouraged to talk about problems not simply from a corporate perspective or from a rich person's perspective, but also how a um, a person of lesser means might have navigated their way through uh, that sort of uh, uh, whatever the issue was. Uh, and so we want our students to have a heightened awareness that uh, there are people who could use their services, uh, but you need to think creatively about how you structure your fees, uh, how you use your time, uh, and that sort of stuff. I actually think that the era of the big law firms has probably passed us by. I think that most lawyers are going to end up in in smaller practices. And uh, I think that's a function of the economy. I think that it's also a function of just reality is that people, uh, no one likes to feel like they're a number. And when you talk with many of the uh, young associates in the big firms who are getting the big money and you ask them about their job satisfaction, frequently their job satisfaction, when they talk about job satisfaction, that's fairly low. What are you finding, uh as far as pro bono efforts, uh, we've got a new law school out here in California, um, University of California at Irvine, where students can engage in a public interest uh, study. And then if they serve for, I think it's for five years in public interest afterwards, then their law school debt is forgiven. Does, do UMass offer anything like that? Uh, that is something that uh, we we were going to, we will end up exploring. It was something that we could not talk about uh, in our first year, in part because of our inability to use uh, state money, but uh, I would hope that that is a model that is used by the medical school, uh, the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And my hope is that once we've demonstrated that the uh, that having a public law school is a good idea, uh, that uh, folks will want to revisit uh, this notion of debt forgiveness. But again, 
My guess is on average, because almost everyone is getting some financial aid, my guess is on average that, uh, you know, as I said, that's going to be about 60000 It would be great to get that reduced to 30000 for many people. But I do, I do believe that even at 60000 uh there are going to be opportunities uh, for people. Um, you know, we're seeing population shifts, and so... Uh, the law school is located in Bristol County, and uh, so we are part of the south coast of Massachusetts. And, you know, uh, we are seeing lots of entrepreneurial things going on in this region. And every time an entrepreneur steps forward, he or she uh, needs to figure out how to protect their interests. And so hopefully uh, our graduates will be the people to do that. You know, it's funny uh, that Craig mentions uh, the uh, University of California, Irvine Law School, because I, I think we, we had Dean Chemerinsky on this program just, just a few weeks before that school launched, I think, to tell us about what he was doing. And so uh, it makes me wonder, uh, here here you are in the final stretch before you get this school uh, officially, uh, I guess, before it officially opens its doors. Uh, I guess it has already officially opened its doors. Is that right? I mean, what are you, what are you doing to prepare for this uh, incoming class now? What, what What's yeah, happening in these final yeah, days? I'm not cowering in the, in, in the corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, we're doing a lot of talking. Uh, uh, the first phase of this was to take care of the business aspects of bringing two institutions together, bringing a smaller institution into a larger institution. My faculty uh, will return in mass uh, in a week, and then we will begin to talk about um, education. And uh, I, I would, one of the questions I asked earlier was, uh, why was there so much resistance from some of the private law schools? And for me, this is the fun part. I believe in multidisciplinary uh, education, and so that was why I developed the uh, uh, forensic criminal law homicide, anatomy of a homicide case. And I co-taught that with a forensic anthropologist. Uh, so those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. Those are, uh, those are the kinds of things that have real value. Uh, you know, we're hoping to have some patent lawyers uh, who are still working in uh, firms uh, or industry also take on students and and uh, engineers and that sort of stuff. I mean, UMass has an incubation program that uh, we're hoping our students will work with. We already have a community development clinic where we're working with nonprofits and some small businesses. And so this is an opportunity for us to expand uh, that experience. And in fact, uh, our students tend to... Uh, be more interested in uh, uh, the community development clinic than some of the other clinics that you see around the country. Well, our, our time is just about up, and we want to let you get back to work. But, of course, before we wrap up, we do like to give you a chance to offer your, your closing thoughts. Uh, and also, uh, if you'd like to let our listeners know how they can follow up with you or learn more about the school, uh, we invite you to do that. Sure. Um, I can be reached at Robert. Ward at UMassD, that's in dog, dot edu. And I w I'd love for anyone uh, to email me and uh, find out about the school. Uh, 
I think the best is yet to come. Uh, we've had a good first year, and I think that things are only going to get better. And I and my suspicion is that within a relatively short period of time, uh, this is a law school that uh, people will be talking about uh, and talking about in positive ways. So if you've got someone out there who's been thinking about law school, uh, I, I say come on in the water's fine. Great. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on our show. And Bob, uh, this wraps it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. And for our listeners, remember, you can get all of your CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center. For listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts, you can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. And all of our shows from Legal Talk Network are available on iTunes. And let me just add my thanks to Dean Ward. Thank you very much for being on the show. And thank you for thinking of us. Well, Craig, uh, it sounds like you're going against the tide. You've just moved from a small firm to a big firm. and uh, But other than that, I, I hope you're doing well, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. We'll see you then, Bob. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.